Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on October the 31st, 2012. For newcomers, as always, I suggest you make good use of CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website. Lots of free audios for download and you can start to understand the system you're born into. It also makes you look at yourself too because many of the things you adopt as normal were actually given to you by professional people that were marketed into your brain basically and Plus, it was also put into your mind through education, too. So help yourself to the audios. And remember, all those sites listed there on the comm site have uh, the same audios. They also have transcripts in English for print-up. And you get transcripts in other languages if you go into alanwatchsentinel.eu. Remember, too, you are the audience that bring me to you because I don't bring on advertisers as guests. I try not to scare the bejesus out of you and sell you the antidotes. I simply give you the, the bad news of what they call life today, this modern life that really, again, is all a big plan. And it's a plan because it's been written about by lots of guys involved in creating the plan over the last hundred years. And uh, there's so many books out there in universities, too, even to do with your conditioning and how to condition the masses. is just astonishing. But then again, we're given entertainment to take our minds off these things, to think everything is quite normal, and just be happy, relax, and leave it all to your betters. That's perfect socialism. Perfect socialism really is a society run by a small elite or a cadre, if you like, with a whole group of scientists beneath them who run everything efficiently on behalf of this elite. You know, the better type, the ones who have more intelligence than you. That's what they say themselves. And um, now we're going through the biggest changes we've had for, since really the, the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. I think it was Kissinger that said that himself one, one time, a long time ago, before all this uh, Agenda 21 thing started and 9-11 started and went into the whole fast uh, process into uh, the new the new American century, and again to um, this is the century of change. Remember, century of change. Everything has to be completed in this century to for the big boys to have their global utopia. That includes population reduction, uh, better control over the minds of the public under the guise of terrorism. They understand everything that you're doing because you can't keep anything to yourself anymore. It's all electronic. And uh, they're well on their way to establishing their, their perfectly controlled society or a police state, call it what you want. This is only transitory as you go through every phase to the next phase and the next phase. You can remember too, as I say, you can buy the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com because I don't bring on the sponsors. I don't get paid by advertisers. I don't have uh, shares in any products that are being sold whatsoever. And to do so, you from the US to Canada, remember you can use a personal check. You can still use uh, international postal orders from your post office. You can send cash or you can use PayPal across the world, Western Union and PayPal. And straight donations are really, really awfully welcome during these austere times as we go into hyperinflation, which is all part of the agenda too. And what I do too is to show uh, how the past is linked to the present 
uh, how the big boys themselves formed their big organizations and foundations, which in turn run thousands of think tanks on every facet of society to do with controlling, changing, altering behavior step by step for over a hundred years into a hundred years beyond now even. They're working on the kind of humans they want to have around them. And, you know, foundations and institutions, uh, they're, they're not elected, they're private organizations, but they also put their own boys into government. There's lots of them, and they even boast about it. The CFR, for instance, said that they've always put their own people in on top. doesn't matter if they're left-wing or the right-wing. doesn't make any difference at all. Every president and prime minister in the Western world has been one of their boys for a hundred years. Back with more after this break. We're back, cutting through the matrix. It's astonishing, too, how most folk adapt to the changes. And this, we are an adaptable species, the, the most adaptable species, in fact. Because really, when you think about all the other animals, they can survive, survive quite happily in the wilds in all kinds of climates. But humans are pretty weak that way. We've got the brain to make up for it. So we have all these, these different ways of surviving. But we're adaptable. And because we're adaptable, uh, those at the top, of course, who are into behaviorism, uh, can make things happen to us or bring things to us which we adapt to uh, in a happy sort of way, preferably. And, and also an authoritarian way when they just use the force or the threat of force, we adapt to that as well. And we read stories all the time about people being caught and, and pummeled to death or shot or whatever it happens to be by mistake. And... Um, we always think, well, that's so far away from me, or it's my, not my town, or my village, or it's not my neighbour, and it's not me. So I'm, it's okay. It's not as bad as it seems. But understand, we're going through a massive, massive change as authority comes to the top over any idea of public input into society, which you like to call democracy. I personally think democracy is nonsense. When you study the history of it, it's a, it's a, a good facade. For, certainly, it stops you having rebellions every so often. But in, in reality, too, say people adapt, and, and, to, and you can adapt into any situation until you can't back out of it. You're, you're exactly where the big people want you to be. And obedience to authority is a technique that has been drummed and hammered into you, more so not just from your local news or the national news, but also from the fiction that you watch. Uh, you don't want be- these black-clad goons busting in with their big machine guns and so on and putting the boot on your neck. And so you're watching all this all the time. So you obey them, obey, obey. You understand? It's all obedience training. Because the Club of Rome, on behalf of the United Nations, uh, which is the, because it's the biggest think tank for the United Nations, said that um, democracy would never work. True democracy would never work. And therefore, and a form of authoritarian society would have to be created. Well, welcome to it. It's done under the guise of terror. But it's also a very old, old plan, you understand. They never intended to give you some free, happy society because you are owned like any big corporation owns all the subsidiaries, and that's how we are. If you simply look at how uh, big corporations plan 50, 60, 70 years ahead, that's how governments do it too. Uh, 
on behalf of the elites. They must always make sure that the elite are always the same elite or their offspring come in and take over the positions of control. It's been that for an awful long time. And they do mergers. They have takeovers of countries, of, of companies. And, and that gets me onto the topic too because you're watching the European amalgamation, the creation of massive um, bailouts, which gets all the countries into debt trying to bail them out, and it strengthens the new central bank, the private bank of the EU, exactly as, as we're, we're told by Quigley uh, back in the 60s. That was their intention. First create the continents through might, what seems to be kind of trivial little agreements they make, and then gradually, step by step, amalgamate them into one with the bank ruling over them. That's a big ruler. under, And then the central banks are under the bank for international settlements. It's all documented stuff. So they're right on target with it too, but they also want to amalgamate the Americas as well. And we've seen them try to really push it through with again the 9-11 controversy and uh, the border security, etc. Uh, and it's happening step by step. There's more agreements signed very quietly into law on US side and Canadian side. They make it happen. And the people again yawn and go back to sleep because you're trained not to listen to anybody, someone who's famous on regular mainstream media television. And if you see the, your regular newscaster saying something, you'll believe it then, even a lie. But you, you have a hard time believing anything else for yourselves because you're trained, you're literally are trained that way. Kissinger said it, and Brzezinski said it too, that eventually the public would be unable to reason for themselves. They expect the media to do their reasoning for them. In other words, you're socialized, you're domesticated, and you look to the media to, to give them any warning of something that you should know about. Well, the, the, the media is privately owned, folks. It doesn't have to tell the truth on anything. And not only privately owned, it's part of the intelligence services. They all have, there have been so many documents about out before, and, and court cases come out where uh, you find CIA are embedded in all the major media across the country. But here's an article here about integration of Canada again, step by step. Niagara Falls, it says, Armed U.S. border guards may soon be on Canadian soil in Fort Erie, Ontario, pre-inspecting government vehicles before they cross the Peace Bridge into America. Well, details have not been determined. Uh, that's one of the options being considered in a preliminary agreement that's been worked out between Canada and the U.S. to speed up traffic across the Peace Bridge. So it's always give you a nonsense reason for it. The pilot agreement was announced earlier this week by New York Senator Charles Schumer after a year-long negotiation involving the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and its Canadian counterpart, Public Safety Canada. The Peace Bridge and another unnamed international crossing will be the scene of the pilot project that begins in late December and will run for 18 months. Schumer called the pilot project a two-way victory. So it's always a victory, as we amalgamate, for both countries because it will speed up traffic across the bridge, they say. You understand, we had a great system before 9-11. It was very quick, worked awfully well. And so, but again, the reason for this has got nothing to do with catching bad guys. Since the Buffalo and Fort Erie Public Bridge Authority is supportive of, of the commercial pre-inspection concept. And Chairman Sam Hoyt said they're looking forward to its eventual testing and implementation at the Peace Bridge. So uh, the rest of it was just a PR. It's just PR, PR, PR. And it talks about, and it even lies on it too, by the way. The live part is this part here. It says, the two organizations were sharing information on travelers who are not Canadian or U.S. citizens such that record 
uh, entry of into one country could be considered as an exit from another country. So it says, um, uh, so they're only going to share uh, foreigners, not Canadian or U.S. citizens, data. Now, five or six years ago, I read from the government's report where they're already sharing all the data on one computer base for all Canadians and all U- and all U.S. citizens as well. But hey, what's the truth when it comes to officialdom? You understand that the higher they get in officialdom and the more arrogant they become, because they don't believe that they're servants and they're serving the people. That's an old, old concept. They're way beyond that. They are the authority. And they do lie to you all the time. You always lie to children, you see. That's how they see us as children. Don't, don't get them. They all get restless if we tell them the truth. So just tell them a little fib and it'll go down much easier. And the farm bill in the U.S. was coming up for renewments. And it says the September 30th deadline has come and gone, and Congress has returned home without passing a new farm bill. While well, farm uh, special interests bemoan that Congress fiddled while Rome burned, the outcome is actually good for American taxpayers who will have founded or funded a bloated, subsidy-filled, stuffed trillion dollar farm bill. Even the Washington Post noted in a recent editorial that a farm bill, no farm bill at all might be better than a bad bill. But it's too soon to start celebrating. Congress returns in November and will face pressure from the powerful farm lobby to pass the bill, it says here. Now, what it really means is you've got, you've got agri-farm corporate businesses, the big boys, not little farmers, and they lobby government all the time for their freebies and handouts. And that's what that's really all about. It says these are largely anti-farm production programs that restrict land use on farm, private farmland to support wetland, grasslands, and non-threatened species while doing precious little to grow the nation's crop supply and stabilize rising food prices. The Wetlands Reserve Program, which transfers land rights from private to government control, is the largest of these USDA-run conservation easement projects. Specifically, it retires farmland, and retires farmland, a nice term, eh? in order to restore, protect, and enhance wetlands and wildlife, and estimates uh, an estimated 2 million acres of cropland are encumbered under this program. It raises the question, with the nation's farms suffering from one of the harshest droughts in half a century, and crop damage threatening to push up food prices to record levels, why is Congress proposing to spend hundreds of millions of additional tax dollars to convert farms to wetlands when the land could be used to grow crops? Well, you see, you've got to get wetlands to get mosquitoes growing so you can bring in the plagues when it's the right time. That's part of it. The program's approach of taking land out of production stems from early federal land retirement programs intended at the time, ironically to control failing, uh, falling crop prices. Back in the 1930s, lawmakers removed moved land from farming as a means of reducing production supply and supporting food prices. Conservation purposes were secondary, but today the pendulum has swung so far towards protecting everything from wetlands to drylands and to even non-endangered species that the impact of these policies have on falling food prices, productions, and rising prices is not even considered. In other words, it's political correctness, at least to the average person who views it. Worse, much of the land under easement is encumbered permanently. That means there's little wiggle room to adjust for severe conditions, such as the summer's drought. The Westland Reserve Program was considered controversial in its early years due to its concerns it would infringe on private property rights. Congress slashed the program in the early 1990s and refused to authorize any funding. Not so today. The 2008 Farm Bill, which expires September the 30th, authorized 3 million acres for enrollment 
up from 2 million than the previous farm bill, President Obama's 2012 budget request, $785 million, almost double the amount authorized for 2011. But unless Congress uh, passes a new farm bill, the wetlands program uh, days may be numbered since the program does not have budget baseline protection. This means it receives no uh, future funding unless costs are offset by cutting other programs in the farm bill. So actually, it's, we'll wait and see what happens with this one because, remember, it's all under Homeland Security now, with all of the farming, and uh, they can get money to them in a different fashion if need be to get all these things through. And another one, too, is the federal government has filed another mortgage fraud lawsuit against the Bank of America, contending that defective loans generated by the bank's countrywide financial core subsidiary caused mortgage finance giants Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac to lose more than $1 billion. So they're, they're all suing each other because they're all crooked to be involved in involvement. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix and it's interesting too to, to see so many articles that I don't read generally on the air. It's, it's just too many of them to do with police investigating them for things that they've put up on Facebook or whatever. But they're all the way down to simply complaining, people who are disabled complaining about the treatment they get and so on. It's enough to get you a visit from the cops now. And one article here I got today is about police raid an activist's home. It's a disabled activist's home for criminal posts on Facebook. And it says she's now made a formal complaint to South Wales Police in the letter. She lays out in detail what happened the night and says, given permission to share it with you. It says, complaint against South Wales Police harassment and intimidation of a vulnerable disabled person. Subject access request under the Data Protection Act. Says, I'm a vulnerable disabled person with a serious mental health condition, currently in the DWP's support group for employment and support allowance. The support group is reserved for the most severely disabled benefit claimants who are unable to work and are too unwell to be in the work-related activities group. I experienced considerable anxiety and severe depression, exacerbated by having to struggle for many months to get into the support group and receive disability benefits. I'm happy to supply medical information regarding the severity of my condition. Struggles to get to sleep because of anxiety and agitation due to severe depression and needs to work hard at cramming herself enough to sleep. At approximately 11.40pm uh, on Friday night, 26th of October, shortly after I had succeeded in falling asleep for the night, the doorbell rang very loudly and repeatedly half a dozen times. Shocked and disorientated, I stumbled to the front door, pulling on some pants. To my immense shock, there were two police officers at the door, a male and a female officer in high-vis jackets, and bristling with equipment as if here to, to deal with a riot. And she told me that they had come to investigate criminal activity that I was involved in on Facebook. I was profoundly shocked and disorientated. I asked what criminal activity. They said complaints had been made about, or about posts I had been on Facebook about the job center, employment place. I explained that I had been involved in Disabled People Against Cuts, a campaigning group. In fact, I had withdrawn my involvement from any campaigning earlier that day. I'm too unwell to participate in protests and campaigns. And I'd been to London 
with disability campaigners on the 20th of October and had been left be exhausted almost all week. I'd posted some posts on Facebook in the previous couple of days suggesting that disabled people exercise the right to peaceful direct action protests against the w- DWP because PCS's, the DWP staff union, was disinclined to campaign for a stop to the work capability assessments which are destroying the lives of hundreds of thousands of disabled people and killing 73 of them a week. A lot of them are committing suicide and so on. There are many disabled people and profoundly distressed by the work capability assessments and ATOS and by our treatment by the DWP. However, there's nothing even remotely criminal about suggesting on Facebook that disabled people protest against the DWP. It's completely and utterly unacceptable that two police officers were sent to a disabled person's home in the middle of the night for making such Facebook posts. I asked them who had complained about my Facebook posts. They refused to tell me. I asked them how they'd obtained my address, and they wouldn't tell me either. This is a place where you get in police states, folks. This is a standard police state thing. If you complain about anything or government cutbacks or whatever, uh, and they come to harass you and intimidate you. Things went on to become considerably more stressful and intimidating. The officers asked me for identification. As a campaigner and trade union activist before I became ill, I've attended briefings on the law in relation to protests, and I know that I had no obligation to show ID given that I had done nothing criminal and the police had no reason to suspect I had. I was shocked and deeply upset by the accusation that the Facebook posts are criminal. As I have always been a strong proponent of peaceful protests, I therefore declined to show the officer's ID. The male officer then said that failure to show ID was obstructing the police in their duties. I was appalled by this because I knew not to be true, and it seemed inconceivable to me that serving police officer would not know the law. I can only conclude that the officer knew that he was telling me it wasn't true, and it was a threat to intimidate me because I was advocating legitimate peaceful process in some Facebook posts. They kept interrogating me about my post on Facebook. They then said that some of my posts had been deleted. I have deleted no posts at all in the last couple of weeks. I have nothing to hide. They then asked me if I was the organiser for protests against the UKBA the following day in support of a Cardiff family who had been deported last week. I have absolutely nothing to do with the protests, although I support it and one of the family members is a friend of mine. I told the officers this. They asked me if I would be attending the protest the next day. I said I failed to see how that could possibly be any of their business. But as it happened, while I had intended to attend the protest, I was too ill and would not be doing so. So they went back to the IND thing again and more interrogations and so on. And just distressed this woman. He says, I said I wanted to make a phone call and would get back to them. I tried to close the door, but the male officer stepped into the hallway to prevent the door closing. And the female officer also stepped into the hallway and used her body to keep the door open. This terrified me, so I fled into the bedroom and started crying. While I looked up members and numbers on my mobile phone, I heard the male officer saying that I was probably sending emails. The female officer spoke to someone by radio or phone and described me as being very obstructive. They invaded my home in the middle of the night, accused me of criminal activity on Facebook and of organising a peaceful protest the following day that I had nothing to do with and had been very intimidating and aggressive and they said I was being very obstructive. In fact, I was terrified in considerable distress and crying uncontrollably. She tried to tell some friends and left solving messages on their answering phones in a panic and terrified and searching the phone's address book for someone who could help. I found the number of a legal observer who had once legal observed a protest that I'd been involved with. He answered the call and, and then he helped out a legal observer. 
that's what you need now, your own personal lawyer living with you, I guess, really. <laughs> that's the safest thing you have. Back with more after this. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back cutting through the matrix and talking about how people who are on disability are being harassed now. Uh, see, if you're on any kind of list at all, you're fair game as far as cops are concerned. And they don't care who they arrest or why they're at. They really, really don't care. An arrest is an arrest for them. And they hope to get up the ladder by pleasing their bosses, by just arresting people. But as I say, this, uh, this person had a real hard time of it. And... Um, this is the system we live in today, where the cops themselves are liars, because eventually these cops who went to this woman's house eventually says, well, they weren't there at all to, to, to find out about our Facebook. They were there to pay a welfare visit. At that time, a welfare visit. Born liars. Born liars. Yeah. They should be ashamed of themselves, but forget that. There's no shame these days. Now, NATO. NATO was supposedly set up. Uh, to, to stop the Warsaw Pact countries, the group that under the Soviet system. And once, of course, the Soviet systems pretended to come down, because it really just merged with the West completely now. That was the whole point of it. That was the intention of it. Both sides of the top knew this. But um, there was no function for NATO except to be, you know, a plunderer of other countries and force other countries to adopt the same corrupt system that we have run by the same special few people that run it all with our central banking systems and political correctness and everything else that disrupts, disrupts and destroys their culture. You can't control people unless you destroy their culture. That's the first step in controlling vast amounts of people. When you're after the whole world, you've got to destroy all the cultures and bring in this, this new Americanized culture, which isn't American either because the same guys that run Hollywood give you your culture. I've read the articles from the military magazine that talks about this and how they'd use that, that culture across the world. You know, prostitution, kiddie porn, all that stuff that's, that's now quite common in the West as we go down the tubes. And that would destroy the cultures of the other peoples. But NATO says here, NATO's, um, that's what they're really up to is just forcing warfare across the world to bring in the same system. You see, standardizing the system. Slovenia, little Slovenia, is asking the people to uh, to really vote or go and push for NATO to leave and to get out of NATO altogether. And it says that joining the alliance was the biggest and most expensive mistake of Slovenian foreign policy. Della wrote, to says, the newspaper said that NATO is no longer an alliance for the protection of its members and instead has become an organization that intervenes around the world. That's a very, very polite way of saying plundering. So the leading newspaper Dello on Saturday criticized NATO's failure in Afghanistan and suggested that the government consider leaving this anachronistic organization. Slovenia would be wise to leave NATO because its money is being spent on the alliance's failed projects, and, such as Afghanistan, while do- domestic spending cuts are affecting pensioners, young families, culture and education. The fact is that joining the alliance was the biggest and most expensive mistake of Slovenian foreign policy, Dello wrote. The newspaper said that NATO is no longer an alliance for the protection of its members, has become an organization that intervenes around the world. The current crisis is an excellent opportunity to leave this anachronistic organization, which is lost in time and space. 
The call for leaving NATO was made after the Slovenian government pledged to provide 500,000 US dollars to Afghan security forces after NATO ends its combat operations there in 2014. Based on the principle in together, out together, Slovenian troops would stay in Afghanistan until the completion of the mission of the NATO-led International Security Assistance Forces, Prime Minister Janos Janza said Thursday. After 11 years of war in Afghanistan since October 2001, the U.S.-led forces recently announced plans to hand over security responsibilities to Afghan forces in 2013 and to withdraw the ISEF by the end of 2014. But that's gone from one country to the next until they standardize the world. Because collectively it's the biggest army on the planet, you see. That's what's been used this way. Standardizing the planet. For the big banking boys, you see, that run it. <laughs> and a different agenda too, because there's definitely a group involved at the top of it uh, that's had a very long history of causing revolution across the world. In fact, that's what you're actually seeing. It's not war against revolutionaries. It's, it's, it's the, the culmination of a very long revolutionary group that's been at this for hundreds of years that runs NATO and does. Now, this is an article I mentioned before when it first came out, and it's like something from a movie or April the first Fool's, April Fool's Day. It says, no prank on Halloween, U.S. military forces trained for a zombie apocalypse. The scenario is part of a counter-terrorism summit held this week. A zombie invasion would have characteristics similar to other catastrophic events and would be a federal incident, a summit organizer says. So only after you've been indoctrinated with so many stupid zombie movies would you even take this seriously, you know. Just why is the U.S. military preparing for a zombie apocalypse? It's the latest training exercise that the U.S. Marines and Navy Special Operations Forces will be taking part in on an island off the coast of San Diego starting Wednesday, such as Halloween. It's a very real exercise. It's not some type of big costume party, Brad Barker, president of the Halo Corps security company, told the Associated Press. Scenario was dire, modelled in part on a public service campaign that the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention launched last year, warning that U.S. citizens should be prepared in the event of a zombie invasion. The CDC actually had um, supposed in some way to let loose a, a, a virus or bacterium that started eating your brain. And this is where they got the idea from for zombies. For I guess, like the movies, will all end up going after the guys that don't have it yet for some strange reason and wanting to contaminate them. He says, we'll play at Wednesday and Thursday at HALO's annual Counter-Terrorism Summit Security Conference, which was attended by, amongst other people, former Central Intelligence Agency Director Michael Hayden. Uh, Zombies will invade Paradise Point Resort, which covers 44 acres in Ireland, that will be transformed with Hollywood-style sets, including a Middle Eastern village and a pirate cove. Some 1,000 U.S. military personnel, police and state federal government officials will be charged with responding. No doubt when a zombie apocalypse occurs, it's going to be a federal incident, so we're making it happen, Mr. Barker told the AP. Well, if they eventually put out some brain-rotting disease, it will be made to happen by the feds, and I've no doubt about that at all. God, there's no, no, just, just no amount of ideas to spend your money. Eh? It's just, it's just amazing. This is the only business in town these days, security. You know. It really is, you know. Every, every, every business in town is a con. It's either security and terrorism everywhere, 
or, or global warming and alternative energy that that's all flops and doesn't get off the ground and we spend billions into it and it's only game in town. Yeah. No. In Australia, they're, they're again, they're getting hammered big time. Data retention proposals make cybercrime suspects of us all. The federal government is concerned about cybercrime, which we understand and expect. However, in response to this concern, they're putting forward a proposal that would oblige ISPs to retain all customer phone and internet records for up to two years in line with the European Directive. See, we are global folks. The European Directive, and everyone signed it. Every country across the planet signed it. They're not just talking about suspected offenders here, they're talking about everyone, you and me and every child that even uses a mobile or personal device like a tablet or smartphone or a home computer or a school laptop. Everyone in Australia, even your grandma. This just seems over the top to me. We don't live in a country right by civil unrest or political violence. Now, here's someone who doesn't understand what's happening. Lots are like that. It says, we live in a stable Western democracy. They haven't a clue this is a big worldwide project of authoritarianism that we're, you're already out of any democracy, if you ever thought you had it. And it's a completely new way of living. It's an authoritarian way of living, you see, if you haven't got it yet. Attorney General Nick Solar rocks and claims the changes are required to allow law enforcement departments and intelligence agencies to crack down on criminals in this digital age. And, and they've always got an excuse for whatever they do, is they literally teach you that you have no privacy, you're just a thing. If you're not wearing a uniform today, you're a thing, you know, and, and that's how they, how they see you. That's all we are. And to prove you're a thing, and I've mentioned this before too, from the Carnegie Trust, again another foundation, you see, that's heavily involved in drafting up policies of how we should live and how governments must go along with their agendas to, to train us and so on. And this is one of the later ones from it, but I've read it before. It says, a time of economic turmoil is perhaps unsurprising that the minds of policymakers focus on the question of how to restart economic growth. But in recent decades, people have begun to question the adequacy of GDP as the primary indicator of the progress of societies. A number of governments, local, developed, uh, local devolved and national, have begun to explore how to measure well-being as a complement to traditional measures such as GDP. There was a training new for austerity and to be happy. The project was carried out in partnership with IPPR North and provides evidence from six case studies of experiences of measuring well-being in France, the USA and Canada. The report concludes that well-being measures are at their most effective when they're supported by a combination of, listen to this, strong leadership, that's your celebrities, technocratic policy processes, that's your technocrats unelected, and building momentum through wide buy-in from civil society. See, you have to buy in through all the ads and stuff that's getting put in your face to go into this new way of living. You have to buy into the cons. This is also the citizens and the media. Uh, Where these elements come together, we've seen benefits for individual and community well-being by identifying policy gaps and innovative ways of working. It can also provide a viable tool for holding governments to account. And I'll give you links for that tonight, and you can go into deeper if you want to, or you even care.
but these policies are being rammed down your throats uh, and it's also been rammed down the children's throats as well in various, various countries. And even the chairman of the Federal Reserve talked about gross well-being as a thing for the future. Train the public to do with less and train them to be happy. But there's also other aspects of it. They could use pharma to make you happy all the time and various other techniques as well. It's all part of Agenda 21, by the way. And also tonight I'll put up one, it's called Psycho-Civilization and Its Discontents, an interview with Jose uh, Delgado. Delgado, remember, too, was into putting implants, electric implants, into animals and humans back in the 60s on behalf of the U.S. government to try and find ways of managing whole populations of peoples down the road. you got to start somewhere, right? And uh, there's also videos up on Delgado, an awfully arrogant scientist, as they all are, of course, because they were given special permission to do things that they should be hung for, literally hung for. Uh, and that's what government does. They can actually decide who gets hung and who doesn't. It's okay when government gives them a special permission to do abominable things. But the show it says here, the letter, the letter from Professor Delgado carries two insignias, once made of Hebrew letters and what looks like a Torah scroll. Under the scroll it says Lux et Veritas, which is light and truth, and the other insignia reads Investigation Ramon y Cajal. In our letter to him we have explained there were two artists that, that wanted to study his astonishing research. So they had an interview with this guy. And he's still, of course, as gung-ho as ever to find ways of controlling the public. And, I mean, don't forget Delgado uh, really didn't believe that people had the rights to think for themselves, literally. Literally have their own opinions. He really did not believe that. He was he really believed in a small elite running the world, again, in a scientific uh, group around them, uh, managing all the rest of the herd down below them for peace, understand. It's only going to have peace. Let's control the herd through mind control of various forms. What he was into was more direct stuff, putting wires right into the brains of people. And also put up a link tonight to one where you'll actually see him doing it on people, that is. It was great, too, how they managed to keep it all from the public for many years. They was actually sticking <laughs> the stuff into people's brains. You understand, whatever you're, you're told is a lie from governments. Whatever you're told, too, is always a different reason that they're doing it than the one they're going to tell you. There's always something way beyond anything you'd figure out while they're really doing things. And when they give you the latest of things that they're up to, it's generally 50 years old. They're way ahead of it by then. But see, but they used all kinds of electrostimulation in groups of apes and so on, right up to the, up to humans. And actually excite them as they could make them turn left and right or sit down or whatever. And his famous one, of course, is the bull, where he actually had implants in a bull. He used a little remote control. As it charged towards him, it stopped. Uh, so would you if you felt a massive pounding, like a, a sledgehammer hitting you in the head, because that's, I'm sure, what it did to the bull. But he thought, remember, these are behaviorists, you understand, employed by the government. This is no little out-the-way scientist. He was employed by the U.S. government. And he worked at Yale, for goodness sake. Uh, and I'll put that up tonight for, again for those who care at all. Personally, I think the people are so far gone because you have another school of thought because they don't put all their eggs in one basket. They always have other ones using psychology and behaviorist tricks, etc., to train the public 
And they can. They can make you believe anything and have you copy what they believe. Just look at the culture and just look at the rap music and how, it, how you've created a whole gangster culture there. And you think those guys did it themselves? If the boys that run the music industry and Hollywood didn't want that to become the predominant culture, you would not have seen it or heard it, folks. It was done for a reason for this particular time in history. I hope you understand that. So as I say, I'll put up two links tonight on Delgado for those who care about it. And Health Canada... I mentioned last week about the, some country has, has had pulled Novartis flu injections because they're full of this gungy stuff and had some bad reactions from people. But Health Canada has told the provinces and territories, as in Canada, that has bought Novartis products that the vaccines are now, they're now safe to use. They haven't done anything in them, but they're now safe. All that floating matter you see in them is just dead, you know, bits and pieces of matter. That's all it is. Don't worry about it. Like dead viruses and tissue and stuff. Don't worry about that. It won't do you any harm. And so it's safe to use the experts I've told you. This is a province that have brought vaccines for this year's flu shot campaigns can now resume use of the products. Decision follows a risk assessment conducted by Health Canada using information gathered from European regulatory agencies and the company that sells it. (laughs) Because they want to sell it right. They don't want to recall it. None of the information reviewed uh, indicated a safety issue, he said in the statements. And of course, it's sold in Canada under the brand name Fluid and Agriflu. Strange name to give a flu show, Agriflu. Maybe it'll make you allergic to all corns, because it's all GM anyway. Make up the total of 20% of Canada's combined flu vaccine purchase this year. GlaxoSmithKline has a lion's share of the national purchase, 57%. It says Sanofi Pasteur and Azra uh, Seneca, Seneca make up the rest with 20% and 3% respectively. It's great lobbying, isn't it? You're guaranteed create a panic and a, a hype about the flu that nobody bored about before. And then you've got, the guarantee, you've got guaranteed sales by governments. Sometimes years ahead, you get them selling the line. Ten years, they'll buy them up. Ten, what a great business this fascism is, isn't it? Terrific. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, and we'll go to Dave from Maryland, if he's still on the line there. He's still, it's still there, Dave. Hello, Dave. Hello. Yes. Hello. Uh, Tyler, are you, are you there? Yep, I'm here. Yep. Hey, uh, how's it going in the uh, austerity? Well, we go over the, the, this little blast we got from the wind, uh, this great hurricane and all that stuff, a little, a few trees just uh, bent this way and that way, and then it was over. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I'm still recovering from uh, Sandy, if, if that's what they're calling this one. Mm-hmm. Um, um, oh yeah, um, I was basically calling in to, um, uh, appreciate the work that you're doing. I kind of, it hit, it hit me. I've been listening to the show for a while, but it hit me that the, uh, fact that, that you don't bring on advertisers and syndics and, and so on. Cause I called a, uh, a radio station the other day mm-hmm. and, um, 
I'll just say it was a three-hour-long radio station, and you know it's like they're they're promoting uh, liberty, you know, yeah. Yeah. similar concepts, and um, it kind of struck me, it kind of struck me oddly that I, they labeled me as a truther, you know, that the topic was completely you know different, and I happened to mention something about September, and you know when I went on a break. When they went on break, all of a sudden I was labeled as a truther. Yeah. Uh, I was like, <laughs> what? Yeah. You know, that, like, like in the stabs in your, your own football locker room or something. Mm hmm. Well, uh, it's, it's I encourage, a huge, I encourage yeah. people to, you know, donate when they can, whatever the currency that we have left. Yeah. Uh, I know the currency goes down because it's inflation is the same in the States and Canada. We're in it together and we're tied at the hip. And the plan is to bring us down into austerity. And I personally do think that's why they crashed the banks at that time. Otherwise, they could have kept the same con going for years like they had before. And so it was, it was time to bring us down into this new system of austerity. Since you've been writing about it for a few years and wanting to implement it, they needed something to implement it. Now you're, you're seeing it all. It's a reshuffling of the whole political, not the social system, I'd say, I call it the social system of the Americas and the culture and everything. But, uh, but it's true enough. Um, and the patriot business, I call it the patriot business because it's a huge business out there. It's a big niche for folk and, uh, and they're selling everything under the sun and, uh, and getting awfully wealthy off it. You know, it, it fills a need, I suppose, but but it is definitely a business for those who are up at the top of it. You can cash in on it if you want to, or you can simply just do what I do here and get by on occasional donations and uh, and hope for the best. Keep your fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah if, if there's a little bit of time left. Yeah, even like with the uh, the music biz, um, so-called um, uh, enlightened artists, you know, they're, yeah. they're hopping on this NWO wagon or whatever. Yeah. Well, any niche will do because it's a, it becomes popular, you see, after a while, and everyone cashes in on it and gets their name out there uh, to sell whatever they're selling, which is generally themselves or their products or whatever. And, and it's, I mean, fear, remember, fear is a great business. Ask the government. Fear is a great business to be involved in if you want to get awfully rich. And that's what, unfortunately, a lot of them end up doing. And just become other corporations like every other corporation. And then, of course, they go into the business of eliminating competition. That's another big part of big business as well. But, uh, and then they lose themselves in it as you get involved in the corporate side of things. I don't have that problem because I, I'm, I'm not into being a corporation at all. Yeah. But, but thanks, thanks for calling. And you take care. Yeah. From Hamish Massage from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you.